0: welcome to asset blocks business owner edition because wealth creation is different for australian business owners today we're talking about building your wealth creation team but before we get started let's cue the disclaimer
1: charlie here from asset blocks and i need to let you know that this is a disclaimer. Grant, myself, and the Asset Blocks team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personalized financial or investment advice. We're merely sharing our own experiences and opinions, but you should absolutely seek the help of professionals before acting on anything you hear in this podcast or on our brand.
0: Like most episodes, this episode is important because just like a business, you cannot be the best at everything. How many business owners do we know, Charlie? They try and do everything themselves, whether it be administration, bookkeeping, all of the marketing, all of the sales, but then also try and have their finger on the pulse around delivery. Typically, it's them trying to save cash or kind of keep in control of everything as opposed to giving it to other people. And it seems to always kind of work against them and it's no different with your personal wealth, especially because the risks are so high and when you focus in on building a wealth creation team, just like a business, you need those specialists. Especially when you still have a business to run. Right. So we've still got those conflicting views of wealth and business. So if you're an Australian business owner who has been building their wealth on their own or have been looking to bring on a couple of other providers, this episode is for you. And as a little bonus, we've actually built a powerful wealth creation team document that you can go and download for free. You can see the structure of your wealth team the roles you might want to include, but also a team page where you can track the contact details. So head over to assetblocks.com.au and click free resources to get access to it for free. And if you do enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe or share it with someone else who might be in a similar situation because it probably will help them too. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right. So anyone jumping onto this episode, you can see our wealth creation team just by going on to assetblocks.com.au, clicking the partners page and just seeing who we use. But I want to start this episode out right, Charlie. Have you ever, ever, ever not had a wealth team?
1: Granted, a time in my life I didn't think you needed one. I thought this was something you manage yourself. This is like... How can, I, how can I put it as like, you know, I have a team in business. Um, I can see that working for me as well at this time I will mention, right? So just completely acknowledge, understanding the power of team at this point. Didn't at all see this translate into wealth. Didn't think it was required. And this is something that time and time again, the more I think about wealth as a business, the better I do. But I'll, I'll tell you a story to go through this more. This is probably about 2016, 2017. Uh, Around that time, um, I was uh, very much into share trading. I was into, or share investing, I should really say. I wouldn't have considered myself a trader. I was doing more long-term stuff. And uh, the company I I was really, actually, I should clarify it. I'd done a course on stock uh, analysis. So in this course, you would go through it and it was teaching you how to research individual companies so that you can make a decision based on fundamentals if you would want to buy them or not. Now, I decided to do this course. It was actually quite a good course. I enjoyed it a lot. It educated me a lot on the share market itself. But then after it came the point where it was time to actually pick some stocks. So I did. And uh, the stock I picked at this time was Telstra. So, um, I, and we may even include a link to the Telstra share price at this time as I go through it. Now, one of the things that this course taught was the idea that, well, what will happen is that uh, new technology will come along, like the internet, for example, and then the, the companies that are uh, set to take advantage of that, as that trend kicks in, they're the companies you want to be in. You want to ride the waves of the natural trends he went through a heap of them so you know like the internet was one the baby boomers are another one like the aging population as people get older they need more healthcare services so health might do well i, I don't know so i'm sitting there and i'm um very much like oh 5g is coming out soon you know like 5g phone technology and i'm like well i'm just going to bet on this who's going to benefit from this and yep. i'm like telstra t- this is a home run i'm like the share price was even down a little bit at this point as well. I'm like, yes, bargain. And oh, this is so good. And I, I bought some. I, and uh, I, no surprise to anyone who knows how Telstra's been doing, but it, the stock for basically a whole year after just went into decline. So there's a whole bunch of things that I didn't understand. Like, number one is that competition in what they do was increasing massively. Yep. So companies like TPG and I think at the time like Dodo was a, a thing. So yep. there was all these new service providers essentially eating their lunch. So, uh, and then there was costs involved with the NBN network or something, which again I thought was a trend. I'm like, NBN, like 5G it's and this. Yeah. So this one decision of trying to stockpick wiped out any profits from that portfolio in that year. Now, um, I, I was so certain on my conviction. Like I thought it was like, uh, this is like, and it considered multiple times like buy more. Yeah. Because I was like, well, you know, this is just a short blip. Like, you know, this is buy the dip. Things going to go through. And um, I decided before to do that just by chance uh, was some people I was following on YouTube of all things, uh, which had like a, you would pay them and then they would tell you, give you some of their research, like a research firm. So I bought, uh, I signed up for this thing and I bought this and what came with it is they had their list of trades for like the last year dated and then how they performed since they had done the purchase. So I bought this one and I'm looking at this list and I'm like, I never would have found these companies. I never would have been able to filter the information. Like I didn't actually possess the skills. No, Well, really, no surprise, I did a weekend course on.
0: <laughs> Wait a minute.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's like people that are professional analysis. Like do uh, I think they call them. I don't even know what the role is called. Quants. Yeah, exactly. Like professional researchers that do this full time and that's what they're hunting through and can understand. And I'm here thinking, well, 5G and Telstra, like this is ride this wave, get behind it. And um, I quickly realised like this was the moment when I'm like, ah, the people, like my – you know, 90% of my time is business and 10% maybe was on shares. And then on the other side of this is like, well, 100% of their time is focused on this and they have a decade of experience or more. Like, does it make any sense in the world for me to be picking individual investments when against someone who is doing this for a profession? And the home run was, it's like, if I got them in an ads account, so let's say doing Google ads or Facebook ads, how would they perform against me? I'm like, I'd smoke them. I'm like, I'm pretty sure how that, that's how they would feel in converse to picking stocks here or investments. So that, that's my uh, story. I hope it's, uh, I'm sure, relatable to many people out there of like, I, I was holding myself back by not getting a team involved.
0: And the interesting thing though is like, especially when you bring in, I don't want to say sort of the common knowledge, right? So when you say things like Telstra and 5G slash NBN rollout, you go, okay. NBN and five G, logical. Telstra, number one telco in Australia, logical that they would be at the forefront. A normal person would look at that and go, "Your hypothesis makes sense." Right? Where then, to your point, someone who does this a hundred percent of their time that actually has depth in understanding what happens in these markets and what other competition is coming out and what other technologies coming out, etc., will look at that and go, "Yeah, it's a terrible trade." And I love the the summary at the end, which was, yeah, the time spent on that specialization is where the value is provided. Because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will go, Charlie, your hypothesis was right and it was correct and it's logical, but it just did not work. But I think too many people try and justify that from what they they perceive it. No. And I always call it blindsiding, right? You just don't know what you don't know, right? If If you ask my wife to go and fix your car engine because it's broken and pulled over to the side of the road, she just she has no idea. It's a black box, and it just you put petrol in one end and it thing propels forwards, (laughs) right? You just there are things that people just don't know, and it's not because it's just because they've never been taught it, they've never researched it, they've never seen it, and so it's like ah, these people are aware of all of that. It's the same reason we take our car to the mechanics.
1: I'll just go a little bit deeper on that one. I completely agree with that point. It's a great point, right? We 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 accept all pay professionals in other areas of life, mechanic, teeth, like dentists, medical. Um, but I just want to really drive this one home. I knew I was truly out of depth when I met a guy at a, we'll call it a networking event, and his whole specialisation was he only did mining companies on the ASX, so Australian mining companies. So full-time, he knew everything that was going on and um, in these companies, and it's like he was wildly successful because of that spe- uh, specialization. So, like, I looked at that again. I can't at this level, I can't compete, and I can buy his knowledge for like I think it was his uh, subscription to get his report every month was like a hundred bucks or something. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, there's, there's 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 merit on this one again. So, really interesting to understand
0: and to just hammer that point home, just in case we haven't made it more and more clear. It's the same in business. Niche on niche always outperforms a generalist business because you know exactly who you're going to target. You know exactly how you're going to hit them. You know exactly your, your buyer persona. And So, well, what are you? To them, you are the specialist of specialists. You are to solve this very specific problem. And I'm going to piggyback off your story, Charlie, because I'm not going to talk about a story where I sort of have lost money or anything like that because I think you've done quite well at articulating that. I'm going to talk about my aha moment of going yeah, wealth team is really valuable. So my previous accountant to the one that we've got now and you and I have the same accountant, um, I I was with them, I reckon it would have been about four or five years. And I remember going into their offices probably at a point that there would have been each quarter, but call it twice a year on average across those years, where I would walk up to the whiteboard and I'd have a session with um, the accountant that was working on my um account as well as like the senior guy who ran the entire business drawing up all of the business entities all of the investments and then like putting a circle around myself and then hazel when when we first started dating i'm like that is the end goal and so like these entities only exist in order to help us grow our wealth they got it they said great yep awesome and then i get a compliance compliance which is like a bass submission and an end and and they are be like hey we got you a little bit more in your tax return yay <laughs> as if like that was i was going to celebrate when i'm like there is a bigger picture here and then i'm like rubbing up against this because i'm like now this is this is causing me more friction because I, I need someone to think outside of just a compliance and i i remember mentioning it to them i don't care if you charge me I, i'm fine with having strategy sessions i just need you to think and bring me these concepts and then I had a conversation with our accountant with of going, okay, one job, in focus on our wealth and these are the entities. He's like, like, yeah, you're the client I only focus on. Like anyone who comes to me and just says, I want business compliance, I say no to. Anyone who just comes to me and just does like personal tax returns, depending on the individual, I probably wouldn't do it. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, this one in one. And then you sort of fast forward that over the couple of years that it's been, And it has been just chalk and cheese. I have strategy conversations. They email me talking about this is what we're going to be doing. They talk to my lenders. They talk to all of these things. And I'm like, these things exist. Accountants aren't just all compliance people. But that was like the aha moment for me that really set the dominoes on the wealth creation team. Because that was the very first one that I picked up. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, I I get this. Right? Now, this is value. I just had the – similar to employees, I just had the wrong person. Right, but now I've got a really superstar. Now I can put other superstars around and replace them. And I've shared my story about a horrific story about a bad mortgage broker before and replaced them. And now I've got a good one. All right, And so that was my big aha moment that said, no, this is the way that it's really going to help me set those dominoes.
1: I wonder if you're the only person to go into their accountants twice a year that account and get a whiteboard out and go through that process and explain it to them. I would think that is unique. In I mean, you probably spend more time with them than their average client does in general. If you see them twice a year, I know many people don't. Um, but to go through that, I just wonder what they were thinking. It would have been absolutely hilarious to be in that room.
0: Slight tangent, it was always interesting when like a software company that I was looking to sell at the time and I was sharing to them like the exit value and things like that they were going for and you just saw their faces going, yeah, sure, whatever. But my my question was like how can we structure this now in preparation for that? And it was like I will look into it and they just never got back to me. And like my preface was I'm, I will pay for this. Like we have got time between now and then to structure this, set it up, I can transfer entities, I'm like – I run the business, like I can change whatever you want me to change. Um, and it's just, it just never, never happened, never happened. And so we've dove into a little bit about it, us, our, our problems and our challenges, our aha moments. So importance of your wealth team, Charlie. People at home going, cool, good stories, well done. So what do these, what do these guys actually do for us? How can they actually
1: add value to my life? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I think the... Idea I want to cement in people's mind is that your wealth team and our wealth team might be different, and depending on your circumstances, you need different teams. So, uh, an analogy to help drive this point home is like if you're playing basketball and you want to win a basketball championship—that's the goal or a wealth goal—but uses your sporting goal. But the team you've got is designed to be like a let's say they're the team for an F1 car. You can see by putting that team with your goal of uh, winning a basketball championship, you're probably not going to do well. And I think that commonly happens. It's very uh, evident in many people we speak to and even your experience with your accountant, right? That's the F1 uh, accountant over here and he's coming over basketball and it's like, it's not working. Yeah. Or it's not applicable, I should say. I shouldn't say it doesn't work. It potentially would work for some people. So the thing that I think is most imperative is to not copy and paste your wealth team. It's to design one that fits the goals you want to get after. And I think when you're clear on the goals, and if you haven't already, please come and listen to the Creating Your Wealth Goals episode on this podcast. We spoke about it. It makes it much easier to know if you've got the right team or not. You can start building it with that end in mind, which I think is really pivotal here.
0: Yeah, And the key message is that you just you can't go this alone, right? And that's the big difference because uh, as business owners, we do have that priority to your point, Charlie, that you were talking about before, which is the business. And that should be 90 95% of our priority right? It needs to be focused in on creating that good business that has a sustainable income where we can continue paying off our life's expenses as well as investing a significant amount into assets. But that's where this fundamentally changes because when you say, okay, great, now I can build a team around my wealth and start treating that like a business because there are a lot of similarities which we're going to be diving into. That is really sort of that pivotal moment for a lot of people is to go, ah, oh, that makes sense. My business does this and we've done wealth tracking in the past. Uh, my, bu- my business does accounting and, and wealth tracking. Like uh, This is the same thing. I, I get this. Oh, yeah, I spend money and I make money. It's just like my business. And that's exactly where we're trying to hammer home with this wealth team. And it's, it's really interesting because the importance of, and we've kind of danced around this a little bit, the importance of really having them or the why around a wealth team comes back to those specialist knowledge areas. Right? Could you imagine trying to go to the banks and get a mortgage, Charlie, for the properties that you have versus getting a lending specialist who already has the relationships to the banks, already knows what's a good deal, what's a bad deal, has already dealt with business owners who have gone and got these lendings before versus you trying to do it, the time, the effort. The price you'll probably get. I've heard people walk into branches before get home loans and mortgage brokers or lending specialists just like freak out going, this is the worst deal I've ever seen, (laughs) right? Because you just don't have that knowledge. It's not something you do every day. You might do it like every now and again.
1: I couldn't agree more. It's the story of earlier, right? It's that advantage of having someone in your corner that does this all day, every day. And I just think about it even with the experience we're dealing with lenders now, right, with a broker like I haven't done any of my lending myself, it's still pretty painful to have to cover that side of things as well. It would be too consuming from the business where I'd probably be less profitable as a business because of the time, stress, and energy it would take to get a comparable result. But I have to say this one. Do you know what my, like my favorite thing, like the biggest why for me is? When you've got your wealth team and you've got the right people around you, That my favorite thing is going to them Well, people – you've worked with people that have already done this, right, that are further ahead. What did they do next? Yeah. Tell me where they went wrong. Tell me where they've had the huge wins. Was there anything that happened down the road that I need to be considering today? And when you can go to multiple people and ask those types of questions and lean on that experience, so not just the experience of them uh, individually like on a loan or picking an investment or uh, buying a house or whatever it is, but when you can lean on them for a bigger picture of like those who have walked the path before, what have you seen? I think this is where the exponential value comes into it. So It really, really does. So that's undoubtedly my favorite thing about having a great team.
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll piggyback off that because the other layer that you and I have spoken about is the hypothesis or the scenarios, which is now I've, I've learned and understood what your other successful clients are doing as well as applying some other education I've got with it. Now I've got these two, three opportunities. Great. Now let's go and run these scenarios to try and find out which one's going to be the best to move me closest to my wealth goal, right? And making sure that your team aligns to your wealth goal and understands exactly where you're going, but are also advocates for it. of going. hey, Charlie, how do we proactively get you there? Being able to run these scenarios with someone who's completely aligned, whether it's a lending specialist, whether it's an accountant, whether it's like a buyer's agent, no matter who it is, having them go, yeah, No worries at all. This one's better. Why is it better? For this, this and this reason. Oh, okay. I didn't consider that. Now put that in your bank and go, all right, in your knowledge bank that is. Now when I look at these opportunities, I need to look at this. I need to look at that. I need to look at that. Now I'm learning more as well. Good. It's all about asking those right questions from it. And the one additional point as to my why is also the scalability. I, I, I don't need to try and duplicate myself. Unfortunately, I don't have a Bianca Charlie that <laughs> can help me with my finances and things like that. Um, so I, I can have a team now that I can lean on where if I... Give... Even there, we have a
1: bookkeeper. Like yeah, it's not, it's not it's right. like It's not Bianca doing the, <laughs> all the books, I will say. It's like uh, she definitely gets some help as well. So we, we lean into that as I think, in an immense way.
0: Yeah, but that, having the ability to go, great. Now I, I need to be in my business, playing forwards on my business. I'm going to make this deal. And they've got a scurry of activity that happens from your three or four specialists where you go, great, let's trigger this off. Can you guys talk together? And they're like, no worries at all. Conveyances, talk to buyers, agents, talk to accountants, talk to lending specialists. And it's just this thing of beauty whilst you're sitting there focusing in on your business to make sure that you can buy more. That For me, that was the one of the greatest elements was that scalability. I've got oh, great, I don't need to burn the midnight oil.
1: Do you see it as a risk reduction as well? Like, do you really think, like, you're, if you've got this team around you, they can call out, hey, you're about to blow your foot off. Like, it, it's uh, it amazes me how many terrible ideas I've come up with which they've prevented me from that seemed like a good idea like buying Telstra shares uh, throughout. So I do see that in things as well.
0: And, and I'll, I'll go the yang of that, which is uh, you've done the yang, I'll do the yang, which is – almost every single one has provided me a positive ROI. <laughs> the advice that I've almost got from every single one has actually resulted in an improved return on investment for me.
1: So so, so far, we'll see, right? So it's a far. long game. It's a long game. But let's, let's dive in. Let's start talking about these individual roles. I think uh, people will hopefully enjoy our stories, but let's give them some stuff they can start working through.
0: All right. I'm going to let you kick off with the very first one, which is partners. Now, I'm going to get you to divide this into two. Uh, And you can talk about them, which is personal, so personal partners as well as business for people who might have business partners.
1: Yeah, I I think this might even be the most important one. I've uh, put some thinking in preparation for this episode is that um, I have people in my life right now that support the decisions I make even when they're crazy. Like they really back it from there. And then on the other side of things, I know people well where it's their partner is just always in fear and holds Mm. them back. So just imagine this is like you're a business owner today and you want to start building wealth and you're thinking about, we'll just use an example, investing in crypto. Okay. That's the path you've elected to take with your goals and personal decisions. You lean over your partner you're on the couch in the evening and say, look, uh, hey, babe, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this so we can uh, achieve that. And the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, oh, that's too risky. Have you not, have you not seen the news? Like wh- why would you risk that? Yep. Yeah. Those little comments and things like that that put that seed of doubt in you prevent people from taking action. Where uh, if I was to come uh, into my home uh, at night and I I was on the couch and I lean over to Bianca and I say, "Uh, look, I think I want to buy another house. Her her response would be overwhelmingly positive and supportive, Which and uh, often we joke she'll be very highly encouraging, maybe a little bit too much. She She might give me some, we'll, we'll get it done then, hurry up. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, no, I could imagine Bianca saying to you one why not another two like
1: <laughs> uh, th- surprisingly enough in to go into that point uh we saw a very risky real estate opportunity the other week like someone that was basically like investing in a mining town opportunity where we think they're, they're gonna find gold or something there I don't know so're thinking of buying in this town um, to try and ride that. And I was, like, actually the one that was, like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> and she was, like, let's get to. let Let's I'm go. Like, oh, there's tolerance there. Um, Put the foot but, to the floor. Yeah, but it was just really surprising that, like, that's the general attitude. Um, and it's been that way even through business. Um, so I, I really think the person you sleep next to, hopefully. Um, so if you're in a relationship and you've got a wife, partner, um, or you're dating someone and they're that way inclined – your chances of being successful in wealth are tremendously higher than someone who's dragging you down or thinks everything's a scam or everyone's a spooker or whatever it is. That's the big first one there, and I know you've got that similar relationship with Hazel. Yeah,
0: um, it's an interesting thing because one point I am going to make on top of that is that. So I have had to work with Hazel and take both of us on a bit of a journey, right? Like obviously, I've been doing business for over a decade, so for me to pay for someone's advice was easy. Like I do that all the time anyway, right? I have mentors, I have accountants, I have all these people around me that I pay like employees, et cetera. But for her, who at the time was an employee and doing all of those things, it's the the difference, right? Because there's very few employees that understand the paying $10,000 for a mentor to advise you on business in order for you to go and earn $100,000 is a great investment because they've just never had to do it, right? And so taking her on that journey, and we went to seminars together, and I was very fortunate that she had that open mind of going, you know what, let's test this out. And I remember the first time that we paid for our buyer's agent, it was like quite a large fee, It was like thirteen thousand dollars or something. And she it took her a bit of okay, well,
1: it could oh, seem like okay, a lot of money if you are not used to forking out at that level.
0: Exactly for me, in, the, in comparison to the business, I am like that's that's fine, like that's an onshore Australian employee or two a month, like it's that's no worries at all. And so the second that she came over that hurdle it it was just game on like now let's go and buy more. Let's go and buy a whole heap. Um, I'm going. So for everyone listening, like it's not turnkey. It's very rare that you'll find a partner, especially if you're the one listening to this and you've got a partner at home, they're probably not listening to this. They might be doing health and fitness, which is what my wife does. They might be focusing on some other things. Yeah, Their value
1: might not be wealth creation, right?
0: Exactly. But as long as they're not bringing you down to Charlie's point, and, and but instead of propping you up and saying, I will go on this journey because I trust you and love you and this is exactly where I'm going, that is the key for it. And um, I'll use an extreme example. I was talking to a friend of mine over in the US um, and he did a business uh, conference and seminar. He was probably listening to this as well so he knows exactly what I'm talking about. So there were three buddies who went to Las Vegas and they caught up to talk about their businesses. How are they going to really drive the growth and where are they going to get it over the next couple of years? And at the time he had a girlfriend and he came back and realized that he was becoming too complacent in his business because of his girlfriend. And she was a lovely girl. He loves her to death. He thinks she's amazing. But he broke up with her. It's just because he's like, look, I'm becoming too complacent. <laughs> I need to drive and this is great. It's just not where I am in life. And so, he's literally broken up with his partner because she was limiting him on where he was trying to get to. And so, if you're in that position going, oh, <laughs> is this partner the right one for that, me? that is a
1: tough thing to go through. Like, I very. respect the um, NAS to do that. I think it would take a, a very bold person and driven person to do that. But got to ask yourself it's like i is the partner you're with are you willing to sacrifice your goals for that And you might yep. really love them so it's very very uh dangerous ground
0: yeah especially with everyone's different relationship with money and Compared- if your partner not into doesn't have a positive relationship with money yeah there's a lot of other information out there that you can take them on a journey but yeah try and take them on a journey like i did with hazel or obviously as my other friend it's <laughs> You can sort of move on and, and sort of move to another one. Anyway, the next next point, because I think partners is like a foundational level, right? Making sure we've got the right partner to support us because we spend so much time with them. We validate our ideas with them. They are the ones that sit there and encourage us or pull down from us. The other one that I'm calling out, uh, Charlie, is accountants. So accountants from a couple of senses, because you have specialist accountants, right? So you have forensic accounts, you've got tax accounts, you've got all these different types of accountants. So I always look for... The accountant has, can help me with strategic tax advice from a business perspective, but also a personal perspective, but also can do my whole compliance thing. So the government needs me to submit my BAS statement every single quarter for my businesses. They need me to do my end-of-year financials, my personal financials, but also my I've got sort of other trusts that kick around. They need to do compliance for that and submissions and distributions, et cetera. So that's really sort of what my accountant does on a very surface level there's quite a bit more from a strategic it's
1: sense it down it down yeah i need to go that deep today we're gonna, we're gonna make the assumption that everyone has a business account and that part of it's sorted
0: perfect and so the key that uh what they he does for me is keeping a, an eye across all of the entities but also knows where i'm going to from a wealth goal perspective so that he knows what to pay me right because i i My preface to my accountant is I don't care what I get paid each month as long as I can achieve my wealth goals. So if that means that I need more to increase borrowing or I need less and do it all at the end of the year, it doesn't really matter. That's exactly how I use him and why I use him because he's the one sitting there making sure that everything is looking squeaky clean for the banks, everything's looking squeaky clean for my lending specialist, et cetera, so that I can go and get more assets as well.
1: I consider this one a backbone one. This is absolutely like probably one of the first people I would encourage people to look for. Great. And I know we can't give uh, financial advice or anything on this show because we're definitely not qualified. But I'll go on the record a great accountant is the backbone because it can have, if you don't have that, the consequences can be huge, even if you make great investments because of the tax uh, that could incur or the structures and risk it could end up in. Or like there's a lot of things go wrong on the other side of if you don't have an accountant who knows what they're doing here. And I'll mention one other great thing about finding the right accountant. If you find the right person with this, they likely have clients doing other things and it can be an access point to the relationships you maybe want to build in property or in shares or in crypto or whatever it is. Like They often know a lot of other people that could be very useful for your wealth team. So I will say this is probably a top of the pile one for me.
0: Yeah. And I'll, I'll just cover off uh, three additional points. Um, the first one is I've moved accountants. Everyone freaks out that it's the most arduous, crazy thing. But just note, moving accountants actually not that difficult. There is actually, I believe there's a law where they have to hand over all of the documents and things like that. I can't remember exactly what it's referred to, but it's like, yep, the government has mandated where Accountants, when you move, they have to hand over all of the documents and ship them and do all of those things to the new accountant for the compliance of the business. I didn't know about that until the new accountant that I picked up said, That's fine. This accountant's going to have to send me everything anyway.
1: Wouldn't that have all changed with clown accounting anyways, and FYI? Like a lot of these things probably aren't as complex as they were, let's say, 20 years ago where it's like probably folders and whatnot.
0: Yeah. So, the only uh, only things on top of that is like any physical bad statements, uh, trust deeds, all of those kind of things. Like that that's kind of the only thing that keep, keeps getting shipped around. And I was like, I'm like oh, I thought that I was going to like rip off my left arm to try and move accountants and no. It was pretty easy. The only thing I had to really spend some time on was the historics and educating a new accountant on some historics of this is where we've come from, this is where we're at now, this is where we're going. It wasn't that bad. So anyone listening at home going, I've used the same accountant for 10 years, 20 years, or it's my family accountant. I don't want to move because they know everything about me. It's not that bad. It is just not that bad. Uh, the second thing I will mention is like when – and I'm going to ask you, Charlie, as well. So like, how often do you lean on your accountant? Obviously, I shared uh, the yearly compliance and I, I do a yearly strategic plan of saying this is where I want to get to the next year and my quarterly Basses. When do you use them? Do you lean on them at all? And then any sort of specifics around how you use them?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. I would say that I use uh, – it's the same accountant for me in business and in – well, I will say I'm very fortunate to have a multi-skilled. Some people may require two. But when I look at this, my business side of things is probably twice a year. Yep. It's a pre-tax and post-tax experience. But then on the wealth side, it's probably more than that because every time we look to make a move, we have to verify if it's a good idea or not. So, for example, if I wanted to buy a house – then I need my income to look a certain way to get the loan for that. So I'm going to have to go to my account and say, look, this is what we're thinking of doing. Can you make that work from a compliance and tax effectiveness for that year? So maybe we need to work on increasing my salary or whatever it is. So it certainly has increased the communication. Um, in a really positive way, though, I think it's helped me understand it. So at least quarterly now, and then I will say I find myself throwing more—not ra- I wouldn't say random emails, but certainly seeking uh, advice and questioning things, so I can bring the team together when maybe we're buying a property, or yep. maybe we're restructuring or refinancing, and got to get stuff together for a new bank.
0: Yeah, I love my emails I go after the accountant with just ideas of saying, "Hey, could we do something like this, or how could we structure this?" And they always come back and say, "No, Grant, no." <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay, I got (laughs) you. But the default, it's like an auto response now of just no. Uh, Number three on this list, which I I will put this one into the foundational team as well, Charlie, because of the cost of it, but also how every business owner puts this last on the to-do list and then it gets so far outdated that they just don't want to do it at all. It's a bookkeeper, right? And I'm going to say that this is, again, we're talking about your wealth, team so everyone's like bookkeeper for my business yeah that makes sense no 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 a bookkeeper from your wealth team now because your wealth tracking might be at different levels right you might have one or two properties versus like 10 or 20 versus a whole heap of crypto or a whole heap of shares it depends on how you approach this will depend on the volume that you've got because you might be able to do one or two properties yourself because it might be like 15 minutes a week Right, but the, the key thing that a big bookkeeper does is just make sure that everything's sort of held together for the accountant, right? So the invoices as they come in, they get paid, they get tracked, they get matched, right? That that's really what a bookkeeper does, just to make sure that your accountant, who is more expensive usually than a bookkeeper, is doing the more valuable kind of stuff, the advisory, etc. Um, and then for me, when do I use them? They depending on the size of your portfolio, it might be each week, it might be each month or each quarter. Right, again, don't, don't overspend for something that where they just need to reconcile two invoices in a week. <laughs> like it's just like pointless. Um, but they are really sort of valuable to myself, whether it's onshore or offshore, that doesn't really matter. To me, I just see that as key. Um, any thoughts on that, Charlie, or is there any detail that you reckon I should be running through
1: that's just below a bookkeeper? I'll just mention my own experience here. So when we first started on this journey, Bianca, um, who is a bookkeeper and accountant, I should say, like she is, very well trained in those areas. She was doing things herself and this was, wasn't a big deal, to be honest. So when you're first starting, it might be just an hour a, a month, um, but then over time that's uh, grown immensely for us where we actually have a bookkeeper now as well because of uh, what we do and the amount of properties we have and things like that, which create complexities there. What a, but good habits build, right? So it's like mm-hmm. you don't, I would just, to tr- start with a bookkeeper today with where I'm at would have been carnage. Like you want to build someone up and put in good habits. Like if you're going to run a marathon, like you start with smaller runs, you don't just go out and start at marathons. Um, My favorite thing here though is the tracking. I really appreciate the tracking. I think that's the biggest thing I get is that every month I get a set of books and I can look at it and review it and know that I'm on track or off track. And then to your point, which you mentioned great in one of our previous episodes about being able to forecast from there as well. So the bookkeeper is my, I don't want to say linchpin, but certainly the person's role who plays a massive difference in me being able to decide on next moves, where if I was waiting for my accountant all the time, uh, just because of the gaps between communication, it wouldn't enable me to move as fast. It would actually slow me down substantially. So I think there's a really good merit in getting someone on board for these things right away. Um, and I'll actually, sorry to jump in again, it's just that if you are going to do property and you're going to do lending, having things really up to date is very important. Otherwise, every time you go for a loan, it's going to be carnage.
0: Yeah, I, I, I completely concur, especially when your accountant might be doing stuff quarterly. But in the episode previous to this one, we were talking about wealth tracking and we we're talking about tracking wealth every month or even sooner. Like, this. <laughs> how can that be so disparate and you expecting to still be successful? right? Or otherwise, you'll just end up
1: reviewing every quarter. Uh,
0: So, I'm going to let you take the next one, Charlie. Talk to us a little bit about buyer's agents.
1: Yeah. So, this one's specific for people that are doing property, um, I would say. And then there's different types of buyer's agents as well. So, like you can do a residential one, there's commercial ones, there's even like development site ones. Like if you're someone who wants to uh, like, knock down houses and put up apartment blocks or something like that there's uh, uh synchro what you call it nuances to those skills just like i mentioned earlier about there's people that are just specialists in mining companies on the asx uh, before that exists here as well the role a buyer's agent really plays here and what they do for you is when it comes time where you said look i want to buy another property this person is the person that would actually find that property So ideally, they're doing a lot of research and understand areas, uh, the mechanics of that market, population, uh, economies, so that when they make a selection, they can give you a really big advantage. And I'll tell a story here that I think is quite funny. Um, I just remember like when I was very early in property, I was excited by it. And I was like, you know, looking at suburbs and like population growth and, few other things and I went and compared it with my buyer's agent and the research they put in and I was just like, I'm never doing this (laughs) ever again. What? Has it got a
0: train station? Has it got a Woolworths? Doesn't work?
1: There are layers of complexity when it comes to buying a property that I just didn't understand. I didn't understand and still to this day I acknowledge there's a lot that goes into property selection that I think you really want to have a lot of experience on the board with. I would think it's a, uh, I'll even say it, I think it's a terrible idea for someone to be doing their own research and buying large assets without experience or knowledge on the board. Like you definitely want to, in my opinion, uh, lean on help here. So very, very vital role.
0: Especially when you've got like only so many swings of a bat within a year or within a couple of years, right? Like it's like, not like crypto or shares where you can buy a dollar, Right, and you can acquire something, right? So no matter what your budget is, you can purchase it. Yes, you have that to an extent with property, but you still need a a substantial amount of money to kind of get in. So having people to say this is good, this is bad is critical.
1: Well, I just for the life of me, I've bought properties near a million dollars or around that and over at times, and I look at it and go, why would there's so much risk on the table? There's borrowing on the table. Using a buyer's agent is the ultimate insurance policy in ensuring that is I don't buy a lemon or do something stupid. And then on the other side of things, chances are if you use one, you're going to get an increased return versus uh, picking one yourself. You might get lucky, but uh, that's certainly luck isn't an approach I'm taking to investing in wealth building.
0: Yeah. And for me, it was also the awareness of going, oh, wow, you can get those returns. You can get that cash flow. That's, that's interesting where if I had never have used them and just stepping into property and just doing it myself, which I have before, I'm just like, oh, man, property is kind of kind of that ups and downs, huh? Negatively clear is kind of where it's at, where a buyer's agent really helps turn that on its head. And as we've said with all of these, and I'll just say it again, they live and breathe it. They live and breathe suburbs. They live and breathe dwellings. They live and breathe um, like infrastructure plans around Australia, et cetera. And so um, for me, like I use buyer's agent obviously when I'm looking to purchase, right? So yes, I do reach out to them time to time to talk about, hey, like this is where, this is the budget that we could do now. Is it better off us waiting? Like what opportunities are kind of floating around based on sort of suburbs that are doing well, aren't doing so well, et cetera. So yes, I will call on them and just say, what do you think? And they will come back and say, maybe hold off. Maybe there's some opportunities now, et cetera. But more or less, I use them when I'm buying a property. So it's not like I call them all the time.
1: See, I've been uh, maybe using this one a little bit differently than you at the moment. All
0: right, there's a secret coming.
1: I have been routinely asking uh, my buyer's agent, um, what's working for you right now? And the reason I say that, like I'll go like in the last month or two months of the clients you're seeing success with or getting wins for or finding opportunities, what have they been? And then I'll take that information and I'll put it into my forecaster and go, well, if I was to apply this type of scenario, because it's like it's recent, where I look at some of the investments I've made and like I can't repeat them. Yeah. Like, that deal isn't available anymore. Like You can't buy Tesla shares at the IPO right now. It's past. You can't go back in time. So when I look to that, I go, all right, well, if I was to apply what's working right now for them into my forecast, what does that do and does it bring me closer to my wealth goal? So I've been kind of approaching it in that way right now in decision making.
0: See, I like that. There you go. I even learned things on this podcast. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's awesome. I'm going to jump off onto the, the next one, which is like a lending specialist, right? So, when, when, the reason we say lending specialist because, and not just a mortgage broker is because you can get lending for so many different things, right? Uh, you can obviously get lending for your business, for property, etc. But you can actually leverage some of your equity now to borrow it and put it into shares or, or otherwise, right? So, I'm just going to group this by saying a lending specialist, just because it kind of covers off everything. And when I say that, think of somebody who uh, deals with banks and sort of second-party lenders to help you uh, obtain debt, right? So that is what I mean by a lending specialist. So if you're trying to buy a house, you'll go to a lending specialist, say, this is my income, usually salary, and this is my business details because we're all business owners. And this is how we have been progressing over the last two years of operations. They will go out and they will say, all right, lenders, what? who can provide half a million dollars, for example, to grant in this situation. And that's really what a lending specialist does. Um, and for myself, I use them because I love leveraging the banks, right? Because I love leveraging debt because it helps me get a better return on in investment for the money I have now, where if I spent $100,000 cash in shares, I can only get a return on that 100000 Or if I spent $100,000 as a deposit for a property, I might be able to buy a $500,000 uh, property, so that is why I use lending specialists and use debt. Uh, and for myself, uh, I use them again as piggybacking off. Sort of when I'm looking to buy a house, based on my wealth goals, I do reach out to them more than the buyer's agent. But I might not after this podcast now, <laughs> because what I'm looking for is that validation, right? So obviously my account is saying this is what we're going to pay you, this is the salary you're going to get, etc. But I want to validate that, and so I use my lending specialist to validate on saying, great. What borrowing do I have now based on how the banks are? Because banks change, right? <laughs> they, they, At times, they've given everybody cash whoever applies and other times they've really sort of pulled the purse strings back down and said, no, 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 not everyone's getting it. Um, as well as I just want to understand what are the home loans and the interest rates and things like that that are currently out in the market because I need to factor that into any forecast that I've got for new properties I'm going to purchase. But before I steal all the points... On Lending Specialist, Charlie, Uh, anything you wanted to add or any other ways that you're using your Lending Specialist?
1: I will say this is probably one of the most underappreciated people on the team. Um, I think uh, often like in business, like sales and marketing is the sexy side and then like, you know, accounting and HR and all that is the lesser. This is one of those ones where it's like, I don't know of any like, you know, Michael Jordan branded mortgage brokers. You know, like it's a very much, I think, underappreciated, although I do appreciate uh, our brokers a lot and the ones we use. Um, what I find really interesting for people to understand here with brokers, and this is something where with accountants, they kind of have access to the same tools. So they're all going to be using Zero, for example, or Myob, and like they do understand the landscape. When it comes to mortgage broking, and this is something that I really want to drive home, is that having someone who's worked with business owners and understands not just the different lending options that are available, but which ones are more or less useful for business owners because, uh, as you mentioned, the banks will uh, at times want to take on more risk and they'll be willing to take on business owners who are potentially higher risk versus they want to use less risk and they just want to give people with government jobs loans. So you really need to understand that even if a bank has a product, just based on you being a business owner, I mean, you might or might not get that. Now, every month they change that. Yeah. So the banks update their lending criteria every month, which is why with your broker, it's really important to be regularly getting feedback on what your borrowing capacity is if you are someone who's looking to accumulate because it can change. And then uh, one more level of understanding I want to bring to this role is that there's an organization called APRA which is a government uh, organization. And they actually set the rules on lending. So if they change some of their policy, it can greatly affect the amount of money you can get or not get. And uh, I will add a little story into this one as well. I once had two brokers do research on how much borrowing I could get. So I said, look, I wanna know the maximum amount of lending you can get me. What's the maximum debt I can get at this point? Uh, how big a difference do you think there was between broker number one and number two?
0: I would I would love to say like a 5% variance, which is not very much at all, but I feel as though this is going to be astronomical. Yeah,
1: broker number one come back at 700 grand. Broker number two come back at 2.3 million. It's
0: <laughs> like a 300%
1: difference. He had a relationship. He knew he was like, well, if we go with this lender here, and I'm going to say lender, I'm not even going to say bank because it was actually like, I think, some sort of like union lender. Yep. Yep. Um, So if for anyone who isn't aware, if you're like in the teacher's union or teacher's retirement fund or some of those things, those organizations will lend money. They're not technically banks, but they're kind of banks. They're like funds or private funds. Anyway, he knew based on a prior thing he had done that if you're a business owner, and you had an access to this person and you bought something with this criteria, They would give much more money because they were safe on their books. They were happy to take on that risk. So it's very, very interesting the differences that can come here and especially as a business owner. How often I use mine? Probably too much.
0: <laughs> speed, speed dial number one. Sorry, Bianca.
1: I, would, I get my borrowing updated at least every quarter. At least. Yeah. And
0: I think the, these little nuances that we're sharing through these wealth teams, like the, the wealth creation teams that we have, hopefully for everyone who's listening yet, to this episode, you're just going, oh, wow, I didn't know that you could lean on them. Oh, wow. Because the, they, they are doing things that they love doing. And I'm sure they would love more of their clients to be proactive, especially us business owners, because we usually buy multiple properties or buy multiple amounts of shares or buy multiple amounts of crypto, right? So they like working with us because if they help us, then they know that we're going to drive to buy more things, which obviously inadvertently helps them as well. So Charlie…
1: There's one more point there on the brokers, and I know we need to jump to the next one, but it's like most mortgage brokers spend their time helping mums and dads get into their homes or first home buyers. The goal of them, like they just want to get their house, that's it, live in it. Yep. For people who are investors, it's like your goal is to buy multiple properties. If you're in that strategy, your criteria of what you need from a broker is very different, completely, like very, very different. So that business owner and investment layer, like, do your research, find a good one, uh, ask a lot of questions. That's not something you can get someone who's only doing first home buyer loans and have a great time with.
0: Yeah. Uh, the next one that I'm going to be jumping onto is I'm going to group it into network and advisors. Why do do I incorporate this, right? Because I see your personal network as being able to provide as much value from various reasons as like professional advisors. So I'm just going to break this down a little bit and I'm going to hand it across to yourself, Charlie, because I know that you've got some very strong (laughs) views on this as well. So from a network similar to partners, right, you will have friends or business partners or other people around you who will either prop you up, and also challenge you to be more successful, but also share their wins along the way. But you'll also have people do the opposite, such as bring you down, be naysayers, compare themselves to you. And if you're su- succeeding, they will bring try to bring you down to their level, etc. But also the same goes for like an advisor's perspective, right? How many times have we spoken about advisors that we've heard people use in the past, Charlie, where the fees of the advisor's outweighed the returns they made or even to some extent and i'm using extreme examples so this is not saying all of them are uh the advice that they were providing or the ideas that they were sharing were things that they weren't personally investing in as well meaning that they were like okay well this is what do as i say not as i do kind of situation and so it's really important just to understand that they are still part of your wealth team from a network and advisors perspective
1: This is again, I would say this is near as important as the uh, personal relationship partner or wife or husband or whatever it is there. It's like it's very, very important. I'm, I'm, I feel so lucky that when I work with you, Grant, it's like every time I feel like we are pushing each other to achieve our goals and do better. And we're able to talk about the different things we are doing, swap notes and compare ideas. And I look at that and say, would I have been able to get to here? in the same amount of time without that? And the answer is overwhelmingly no. Um, I think it's really, really important to have access to that. Um, The other side of things is I found like, I was quite nervous. Um, So actually I'll do a double story here. Number one, the first property I bought was because of a mastermind I was in. It was actually a business mastermind and it was a guy I uh, related to a lot. He explained himself very well, we communicated and it was honestly him who made the difference in me buying a property or not. So without that network, I wouldn't have done it. Yep. But then on top of that, as I went into that network and like there was people that had like 10 properties, 20 properties, and I'm sitting there with one, it made it feel like it was okay to have, more, like it wasn't getting more risky. I was like, well, he's over there and he's done it. Like, well, why can't I do that then? So it normalizes the end result and normalizes where we wanted to get to. And I think that is so imperatively important to have a great network that encourages this dream as well because I certainly think the wrong network can destroy it. Yeah, I, I completely
0: concur. And just being aware of that as well, right? Just being aware of, okay, are you adding to my positivity, to my success, et cetera, as opposed to taking away from it? Just that awareness piece alone is a great piece of information to take away from this. Now, we are getting on, so I'm going to continue on. Uh, next one is conveyancer. So, for anyone who has never bought a property or anything like that, a conveyancer is—they do the legal side. I'll summarise it as: so all of the paperwork, the titles, and all those kind of things is managed by your conveyancer. that make sure the banks transfer the money on the at the right time, etc., and that the whole deal is done. Uh, so that I use them obviously when I'm buying a property. I've never actually leaned on a conveyancer for advice. They are just part of the wealth team to execute a trade. Essentially, think of them as executing a trade, right? (laughs) Hey, I'm buying a house. This is what we're doing.
1: Do you know what? I I actually have used it for advice. So I've got a a story on this. Well, (laughs) believe it or not, there's a critical thing a conveyancer does that I didn't appreciate until, like much to your point, I'm like, oh, cool, this is just like someone reviewing a contract. Correct. Sign and let's let's roll on. Severe underappreciation.
0: Well, I got that um, under appreciation right now. <laughs> well,
1: it means you've actually probably bought good properties, I will say. So, like, this is one of those things where it's like you should hear very little from your conveyancer unless there's a problem. And if there's a problem, a lot. Um, we uh, nearly bought a property, and I say nearly. He actually saved us and we pulled out of the purchase of a property because he went through the contract and he compared it to the property. he's like, all the renovations and things they've bought have been done illegally. So this person had, they, maybe they had like, I'll exaggerate, but just to give an idea, maybe they had a, a two-bedroom house and they had extended the property, built a granny flat, um, massively upgraded the home without any permits, without, any, uh, without nothing, no, no builders. Uh, I think, yeah, if you do a renovation this big, you need a builder to sign off as well. Like it was dramatic. So he flagged this and said like, if you buy this, this is your risk now. So if the mm. council comes around and says, you haven't done any of this, you don't have to pull it all down. No way they've done it to compliance here. This is like an illegal dwelling. Fair play. I, I will say that,
0: so I've had a conveyancer on one of the more recent properties that we bought, review. we bought it under a trust and they reviewed the trust document and the trust document missed one line and the line was around like restriction of foreign ownership, right? And, that you can have it, it just results in a bigger stamp duty bill. And so it's like this missing this one line that just said, this trust excludes foreign ownership. And the difference, I can't remember, I think the difference was like $12,000 in stamp duty or something like that on this property, which just from this one line. And so they've read like a 60-page document. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, no, you just need to add this thing. And I'm like, Fair. so... No, you're right. I'll I'll give credit where credit is due. They did save me $12,000 and I just paid, I think it was $300 to update the trust document. That was it. (laughs) So I'm like, fair fair play.
1: See, there's some lean on advice there. It's um, like insurance though, isn't it? It's like the other side of it. But see, time and time again, I just never expected that would be the role. But it would be easy to miss those things if you had a poor quality person in that uh, there because these contract documents are dense.
0: Huge, huge. Let's jump on to the next one. Property managers, Charlie, take us on the journey.
1: Yeah, so if you go into the realm of property investing, I think it is well worth getting someone else to manage the property. If you manage it yourself, you're the one that's gonna be getting those phone calls of like uh, hot water service is broken or need, up, uh, need some other repair or whatever it is. So getting a manager in, in my view is essential so that you can have the time to work on your business. You shouldn't be managing properties unless that is your business. Um, It's really interesting in this one that, like, I've had, uh, I'm very fortunate that I've bought properties all across Australia. So I've had very different experiences with like poor quality property agents and then very high quality property agents. And the thing I really look for and I appreciate um, is that when you get a really good property agent managing this one, you will get monthly communication from them. They will go look at the property a couple of times a year and verify everything's up to scratch and that the tenant is looking after it. But my favorite one at the moment is when the property manager can be proactive in actually helping you increase the value of the property itself. So maybe they'll make a recommendation that, look, if you put an air con in, we can put the rent up $10 a week. Or, hey, have you considered uh, doing this then we can put the rent up 10 bucks a week. And uh, another thing that does come up with property is repair work. Yep. So for myself, um, we've had a property that needed some repairs. We knew it when we bought it. But uh, going through that journey, then being able to manage those trades and execute it and make sure it's done at a high standard when it's in another state, hugely valuable. Like these are expensive assets. So uh, I suppose I've, I've dabbled in all the points we're covering through in this, but it's like, I think it's really important to have a great property manager who can add value in that way. Yeah.
0: I've even had property managers do like renos for me. And I don't mean small renos, like a full renovation with like, I think we spent like 25000 $27,000 on it. And like they managed end to end, the quality is everything just so we could rent this property out. Like they they are immensely powerful. And even yesterday, my uh, property manager for one of my properties just called me to say, hey, look, we just walked through the property. It looks amazing. These tenants are fantastic. Uh, we've prepped them to increase the rent in a month's time, which we're doing. They're loving it. All good. And I'm like, that's all. That's it? She's like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know. And she also called me on uh, 1st of January just to wish me a happy New Year's. Like like these are the people that go out of their way, but I've had experiences of not great property managers too, as I know you have, Charlie. Um, so it's really sort of finding those key ones that add value. And so when do you talk to them? Charlie, I think you, you mentioned this quite well. So I get obviously all my updates each month around ownership statements of what do they spend, what's the incomings and all of them, but also the inspections and like renewals of leases, etc. cetera. Uh, and one of the final points I, I will just want us to cover off is brokerage. Charlie, do you want to spend sort of a couple of minutes just walking through brokerage uh, before I sort of talk about how other people can build their own and design their own wealth team?
1: Yeah, so brokerage is really like you can actually use brokers to buy stocks for you or buy shares on your behalf. Like before the internet, people used to make phone calls and uh, make this happen you can actually still do that by the way what those, those services are open i think it's about 150 bucks a trade though um so i wouldn't encourage it there's certainly more efficient methods but i guess if you're older and can't use a computer i guess there's still a need for it in some ways more modernly today it's done through things like comsec which is like they are part of a bank which has a trading desk as well now i know this is kind of like technically a little bit of a software But there's also quite a support team that comes in with that. Mm. And at times for myself, if I wanted to do international trading or options, having those people in the banks that could explain the mechanics of it or in the trading desk, I should really say, has come in quite handy for me a few times. So I'm going to put that under team, even though this bridges into the tool that I may be using for that one.
0: No, and it it makes complete sense, right? Because that support network, as long as you know that it's still there, if something goes wrong or if you made a mistake, I think it's still critical to a wealth team. And there are a couple of others that, um, Charlie, I know we've used from time to time, um, but for people who are listening, might be having different assets or different sort of stages in their investments, et cetera, that I just wanted to mention here. Uh, we know that financial planners can be a really good part of a wealth team, um, as well as people who manage super, uh, self-managed super funds, right? So having a, an organization that can help you manage your own investments and guide you in the right directions, etc. Um, insurance brokers, so we, uh, obviously each asset should have insurance, especially property on it. So actually using a broker who can go and find the best deals for you and help you out with all of your insurance that sits across all your property, et cetera. And then one of the fourth ones that we just spoke about, which was property trades, like the trades on a property, such as like carpenters, plumbers, electricians, etc. Like we use them, but it's not like they're really part of our wealth team per se, um, however, they definitely do ensure that uh, properties increase in value and, and they fix things when they're broken, et cetera. Is well, there anything, anyone else that we might have missed, Chuck?
1: Uh, potentially, but I'll dive into those ones first. It's um, some people you have on your team are like one-time use. They're not yep. people you're going to have on the journey with you. An example I use, I did a development and we needed someone to do plans and take care of a whole bunch of stuff with that development. And once it was done, like, we're not going to do another development in that area because we're holding the property. I mean, we may down the road, but I think that there will be team you come across in your journey that are one-time things. Uh, The superannuation thing is a really interesting one. We're probably going to do a whole episode just on super for business owners. Um, But at this stage, uh, we do it ourselves. And then on the other one with financial planning, this is one I really want to jump into, although I know we are running long on time. I've had some experiences with financial planners and I did not enjoy them or like them at all. I really felt that they were not aligned to what I was trying to actually achieve. I think they were, uh, didn't understand the business owner perspective, didn't understand that the property perspective, which was something I wanted to pursue, which they couldn't advise on or be as inclusive in as I would like. And then three is that, and again, I'm going to potentially get a little bit of trouble for saying this, depending on what type of financial advisor they are and what their license permits, like, I, I just was in a meeting where it's like, oh, you're trying to not get sued. That's that's how you're communicating, right? You make recommendations based on what's right for you, not for me. Yeah. Like you go, oh, well, we can recommend this list of investments here, but, you know, the stuff, the, anything outside of that, I'm not allowed to talk to you about. And I was like, but it affects everything else. And yep. uh, again, For some people, if you find a good advisor or you want an advisor, I'm by no means bashing this as an industry. I think there's got to be some good ones out there, and I I hope to find one in all honesty. But the experiences I've had had been like counterproductive to the goal. It actually felt like they were working against what I wanted to achieve personally, what my goals were versus what they could actually help with.
0: Especially when there's such a vital role. Are they the advisor? Like They're the planner. They're the ones that are meant to propel you forwards and have seen all of this play out well and badly before. right? And it's like look out for these pitfalls and look out for these things. You can't just have a pre-vetted list and expect people to be successful.
1: Well, to go a little bit deeper here, it's like there's AFSLs in Australia, which is like the Australian financial license. There's probably more to this than I'm brazing over from here, but it's like – In some of these, like those licenses and what they can and can't do are very strict. Like and you might have several different licenses. So some people can talk about, you know, trusts and others can't. Some people can talk about lending and others can't. And some can talk about shares and others can't. So there's nuances to this. But even deeper than that is like I know a financial planner who they get a list from their licensee that it's like these are the investments you can recommend. And it's like – so, you're not doing any planning. You're just selecting from a list from here that's like obviously to not get sued. And I was like, but what if that's not in my interest?
0: Isn't that right. It's interesting because again, like very few people will go down that road because I know people have had financial planners for decades. The whole family uses them. And it's not like looking over the fence. is kind of a last thing. So, what I want to do is I want to just make sure that everyone who's got to this point that you do take something significant out of this, which is like designing your wealth team. And so, we've kind of dabbled at this. I'm going to try and summarize this for everybody. Go for it. The, The key around building your own wealth team is designing it for your wealth goal, but also the asset types that support that wealth goal. There's no point... In you going and trying to pick up someone else's wealth team, unless it aligns to the exact same goal with the exact same asset types. Right. We've used the analogy of marketing before, where if you try and do, what is it, Toyota's marketing as being a local fish and chip shop, it's not gonna work. Right. And it's the same for the team. If you go and take the executive team from Toyota and put the executive team on top of a local fish and chip shop, it's just not gonna work. Right. And so making sure that you design your team to be aligned to that is absolutely critical. So we spoke about like the foundational layer and I'm just going to start here. So the base level that we have, our opinion, again, like you can attack attack this any way that you want. This is just how our opinion is based. First level is that partner, right? So whether it's your wife, your husband or whatever it is, having them support you on this journey, critical. It's It's like the sub layer that holds everything else up. Next is the accountant and an, an ideally an accountant that can support your business, support your personally, and any other entities that you have is critical. Uh, after that, I look at the lending specialist because lending specialists are quite agnostic depending on asset types. There are some asset types they probably can't help with but they are quite agnostic. I will last,
1: say on that one, even if you're not doing property, still a lending specialist is vital to that team in my opinion because you're probably going to want to buy your own home at some point. Yeah potentially going to need some business lending at some point. You might want margin or lending for shares or crypto, like lending is in all of these. Please don't think investment properties only.
0: Yeah, really appreciate that, Charlie. And then the last point that I'm just going to say here is making sure that you've got your network as well. Absolutely critical here. Uh, Then in addition to that is going into the next layer which is look, starting to look at more of your specialists based on assets, if you will, right? So starting to dive into your uh, your buyer's agents, your conveyances, your, um, all of these kind of specialties based on an asset type. So that's obviously for property. And the next one was obviously for shares and crypto, maybe your financial planners, your advisors, your brokerages, etc. cetera. Uh, and then the last piece that I will say on top of that is like stacking, 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 is always want to review. Because what got you here... Might not get you there, right? So if your wealth goal is around cash flow and you use properties at the start, and now you're going to try and leverage debt for buying shares, which I know Charlie and I have spoken about a lot about, uh, then you might need a different team, right? You might go, great. Well, maybe buyers agents aren't the thing I need right now. Maybe I need a financial planner or or what an advisor for shares next. And so, just note that that review is critical, especially reviewing with your network, with your advisors, et cetera. Uh, I'm going to finish like, on a story on this one just to hammer this point home. So, constant reviews. Charlie, you and I talk a lot and we're very transparent to each other around our investments, et cetera. And for everyone at home, it uh, turns out that Charlie and I have a property each in a very similar location in Australia. And so, we were comparing property managers. (laughs) We were talking about fees. We were talking about... And I was going through a renovation at the time and I was talking about, ah, this property manager, amazing, had done, fixed the roof, had been sort of doing all these other things. And yourself would be like, what's the guy's name? (laughs) What what do you mean? Like, ah, well we've got a property in the exact same location uh, and we've got roof problems. (laughs) We need someone who can help us with these challenges. And so reached out um, and actually ends up using the exact same property manager that we were using just because we were talking about it. Right? If we weren't talking about it, um, one of us might have been like, oh, the property manager we've used is, is good, let's stick with it. And so having these constant reviews, whether through Uh, like a real formal approach with your accountant, a real formal approach with your buyer's agents or your lending specialist. But also it could be an informal one or even formal with your network, with your partner, right? Just always review because again, every step of the way you might want to adjust, change, find out that you've got someone who's not propping up everybody else and helping out, replace them and continue going.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is exactly why I want to build a community around asset blocks. The more people I have to have these conversations with, the better everyone can potentially do. So I think it's a a very important thing not to do this as an island.
0: The very last question before I wrap up this show, Charlie. Must your wealth creation team be co-located? Like do they all have to be in Melbourne or Sydney or does it matter? Can you have an accountant in Perth? and a buyer's agent in Queensland and a lending specialist in Sydney, but you're from Melbourne?
1: I would go as far to say it's probably best you don't because if you try to build your entire wealth team in one location, you're limiting the pool of specialists. And it's like what if the best accountant for you is in Perth but then the best buyer's agent for you is in Queensland? Or like it would be such a disadvantage to geolock your wealth team and I think the chances of uh, actually getting the, the perfect team all in one location are near none. So I yeah. wouldn't even attempt it. I'd be looking for the, I want the best person and then making sure that in the world we live in these days, that they can operate in the cloud and on virtually uh, to get a great result. I completely agree.
0: And again, if anyone sort of has a network around them that they might be taking away, just come over to Facebook and join the Asset Blocks community. <laughs> anytime you want to be transparent or you want advice or you want Charlie and I to share about anything, we're there, right? Join, jump on. We're more than happy to talk to you about it. But this episode has definitely gone longer than anticipated, Charlie. Um, there's so much to unpack and I hope that everyone listening to this, you can start now start understanding, well, how do I build my own wealth creation team what do i look out for what are the type of roles that exist but what difference can they make and when can i lean on them and how can i lean on them and i've even taken some stuff away from yourself charlie so i greatly appreciate that and again For anyone listening at home, if you do want access to the structure of our wealth creation team, we've actually put together a full document which talks about each type of role, when we use them and how we use them, et cetera. So head over to assetblocks.com.au, click on free resources and go and get access to that so you can use it in your own wealth creation journey at the same time. And if you did enjoy the show make sure you subscribe or even share someone else who is in on this journey and may be looking at creating a wealth creation team themselves. So thank you again for joining us. And we look forward
1: to catching you in the next episode of Asset Blocks Business Owner Edition.